You know what makes Halloween different from all the other holidays? It's based on a night of naturally occurring power. Christmas, Thanksgiving, all the rest. These are mostly arbitrary. A day was assigned to have meaning, and then it was imbued with said meaning. Not Halloween. All Hallows' Eve is a thing, and always has been a thing, because it's the time of year when the barrier between the living and the dead is at its thinnest. The costumes, the decor, the candy, the lore, the celebration, that all came later. The point being that in some places, Christmas is just another day. But no matter where you are, and no matter what you believe, Halloween is a very special night. Even, for example, in a place that didn't know what Halloween was. The people of this place, this town, would be considered somewhat primitive by our standards. Because they've been cut off from the rest of society since the very inception of the town. These people have their own culture, their own customs, their own values, their own way of life. And although these people may look and sound different from you and I, at their core, they're just people, like any other. Deformed people, mutant people, underground people with a history of abduction and cannibalism, but people all the same. None of these people knew what Halloween was, except one. Her name was Lefty. She was a teenager, and like many other small-town adolescents, she yearned to see more of the world. After reading about the surface world traditions of Halloween, Lefty became captivated by the idea. For weeks beforehand, she planned and plotted, even bringing in a handful of her closest friends. They couldn't bring Halloween to this town, so they were going to go up and find it. Drinking whiskey in the kitchen and telling scary stories around the fire. Music, monsters, and mayhem. Killers, cannibals, and cults. Fearful fiction and furious fact tall tales, and terrifying truths. This is A Scary Home Companion. Thanks to the modernization efforts of King Razormouth and the late lamented war council Cindy Jenkins, this community of subterranean mutants had become more than a collection of hovels and shacks and caves. It was an honest-to-goodness town. There was a hospital with a maternity cave. There was a free-flowing water supply, cleaner than anything these people had ever known, and a damn decent sewage system. There was even a school. It was just a single room, but a school nonetheless where anyone who was of a curious mind could come to develop it. There were three different classes of kids. 
grouped by development instead of age or size, because down here, those things were all over the map. The most advanced kids had the last class of the day. The teacher, as usual, was the first to leave, so nobody noticed that five students remained behind. There was Crumbs, the class clown, Vera, the tough kid, Stringbean, the genius, Mox, the handsome one, and of course, Lefty, the leader of the crew. Keep in mind where this is happening, so those terse character descriptions might give you an erroneous mental picture. Let me describe. Vera, the tough kid, had the size, speed, and appearance of a hairless, overgrown spider monkey. Aside from her sucker mouth lined with acid-spewing glands. Crumbs, the class clown, was portly and lumpy in all the wrong places. Not because he was obese, but because of his unique skin condition, in which his skin cells replicated at an alarming rate. This left him covered with growths, masses, and cysts all over his body as well as a stream of head-to-toe dandruff that flaked off of him constantly. It was like he left a trail of breadcrumbs wherever he went. Hence the name. Stringbean was the smartest kid in school, hands down. But he didn't have hands. He wouldn't even be recognized as a child by any surface dweller. Stringbean had the appearance of a thick, seven-foot-long millipede with a bifurcated human face at the front of the body, split right down the middle. Melted mirror images, twin faces on either side of the head. Stringbean got the looks of his father, but the brains of his mother. The dear departed war counsel, Cindy Jenkins. Like Vera, Stringbean could not speak, but his intellect was far above anyone else in town, even the king himself. Mox, the handsome one, the dreamy boy, the one every girl lusted over, and a few others, too. Mox had an oblong, gourd-like skull, with eye sockets that were set too far back over the rest of his face so that they were looking straight up. This was not an impediment because Mox had eyes set on short little stalks able to look around 360 degrees. He also had a an ass that just would not quit. That was the main reason Mox was included in the gang, because Lefty, their leader, was crushing on him and hard. Lefty was the most human-looking of the group, with oversized, saucer-shaped eyes and long, extended limbs and digits. She and Mox were the only two that wore proper clothing not counting Crumbs, who had the tatters of a ripped-up T-shirt barely covering his grotesque torso. Once the coast was clear, 
The five friends looked over the map for the hundredth time. Lefty had done the research, and Stringbean had done the legwork, making sure the path to the surface was clear. It was quite a trek, at least four hours, but they should arrive to a small little surface town sometime just after dark. Crumbs was a little nervous. He shed dandruff all over the map. Mox, as usual, hung back near the door. Either he was watching for interruptions, or just staring out into the distance to look ethereal. Lefty got lost in his disaffected stance. She sighed. Vera clicked and growled to get her friend's attention back to the topic at hand. Oh, sorry, sorry. By the time we get up there, I'm sure there will be parties, so everyone is going to be dressed in a costume. See, this is why this is a foolproof plan. We don't need costumes. The surface people are going to think we're already in costumes. What about the Droman? Mock said. And one of his eyes swiveled around to look at Lefty. Not that I care, but, you know, what if? For years, the mutants had waged bloody warfare against the agents of the DRO. That beef had been settled, squashed, a peace reached. But the term Droman was now ubiquitous when it came to authority figures, especially those from the surface. Well, that probably won't happen, but we will have at least one escape route if we do need to run. And if we need to fight? Vera cut her off with a screech. See? Like she said, if we need to fight, Vera has it under control. And with that, the crew left the schoolhouse, wound through the outskirts of town, past the arena and the death pit, and started working their way towards the surface. And a sleepy little desert town called Fergusonville. Since Stringbean knew the route better than anyone, he took the lead. Fueled by her boundless energy and a competitive spirit, Vera stayed neck and neck with him. Not that he had a neck. Crumbs, of course, was at the rear of the group. That was the best way to leave a trail so that even if they all got separated, everyone could find their way back home. Which was Lefty's idea because Stringbean didn't want the lumpy kid coming along in the first place. He was a little stuck up. This left Mox and Lefty in the middle of the pack, where they walked side by side. They were close enough to hold hands, but Lefty didn't want to make the first move. And neither did Mox, for the exact same reason. Much like any other teenage girl, Lefty didn't see herself like everyone else did. 
She thought she was too skinny, her eyes were too big. Older people intimidated her. But the truth was that most people considered Lefty to be the prettiest girl, not only in school, but in the whole town. That, coupled with her intellect, had some folks saying she could be war counsel one day. And for a guy like Mox, it made her seem out of his league. To be clear, Stringbean and Crumbs also had feelings for Lefty. But in those cases, she really was out of their league. So they walked, they crawled, they climbed, they trudged, never touching but never too far apart. Two yearning spirits that didn't realize how the other one felt. As they got closer to the surface, there was more ambient light, and the air started to smell different. Lefty felt a a little twinge of apprehension. She hid it, of course, because everyone else had been apprehensive about this the whole time, but she had remained stalwart. She couldn't let her crew see her being a nervous Nelly at the eleventh hour, now could she? She had to be strong. She had to lead, no matter what sort of feelings she had swirling around inside of her. After all, the last time Lefty had snuck out to see the moon, she had fallen into the clutches of a wicked surface man named John Sunday, who had tortured her and carved a message into the skin of her back. Her friend Titus told her that she could never give in to her fears, that she had to stand up to them. That's how a person became strong and brave. Courage wasn't inborn, it came through practice. And sure, Lefty knew that Titus wasn't encouraging her to venture above ground again, That's why she didn't tell him about her plans. She hadn't told anybody, and the rest of the crew hadn't said a word either. This could go either way for them. Nobody was going to miss them for a while, so they would get away scot-free with this adventure. On the other hand, if something went pear-shaped along the way, nobody would be coming to help them. This is why Lefty made a deal with herself that no matter what they encountered, what they saw, what happened to them, she would keep everyone out of trouble. Even if it meant looking like a fool in front of Mox and her saying that they needed to go back home without finding Halloween. She would do it. She was curious to death about the surface and their customs but she could never do anything to jeopardize her friends. Even crumbs. Vera came running back towards Lefty. She was pointing and chittering. String had reached the surface. They crept up behind the spider monkey girl and slowly emerged from the half-collapsed end of a small cave into the glorious pale blue moonlight. There was a total, awed silence for a moment. A lovely moment. As the kids took it all in, 
the moon and the stars above, the expanse of windswept desert all around them, the crags of foothills to the north, the smattering of lights from Fergusonville to the south. What is that smell? Mox asked. I can't smell nothing, Crumbs grumbled. His nostrils were filled with excess skin. Lefty took a big whiff. There was wood smoke, there was cooking meat, there was fuel, there was a hundred other things that she couldn't identify. She closed her eyes and tried to drink it all in. That's when they heard the music. Vera scurried up a rock face and pointed to the other side. String followed her and clicked his forelegs against the rocks to tell Lefty it was safe. Since he couldn't talk, Stringbean had developed a form of Morse code to use to speak. It wasn't much, but it was better than nothing. The tragedy of the situation was that only creatures of the highest intellect could communicate with him. To everyone else, Stringbean seemed like a mindless monster. Lefty scrambled up after them, her long fingers and toes having evolved for climbing. Mox tried his best to pull crumbs up after him. Down below, in between them and the town of Fergusonville, there was a huge party. Three or four bonfires, dozens of cars and trucks, and a couple hundred surface folk having a massive celebration. It couldn't have been more perfect. Before they started their journey down, Lefty filled everyone in on the nomenclature. They all knew what a mask was, but she provided definitions for words they might not know, like costume, prop, special effect. She also informed them that words like sick, killer, slay, and gross were complimentary. She encouraged everyone to stick together and to stay as quiet as possible. Her grasp of surface English was the best of the crew, thanks to tutoring from the War Council and, later, Titus. Their goal, she explained, was to pass and to make all the surface folk believe that they were also surface folk. Are we ready? Lefty asked. And then she was climbing down and leading the way towards Halloween. They approached the outer edge of the mega Halloween party. And even out here, there was a lot to take in. There were a bunch of cars and trucks scattered about. And some were parked in circles, using their lights to make a bright ring in the center. 
In one of these rings, two shirtless men were fist-fighting. It reminded the kids of the arena back in town. In fact, the more they saw, the more this all reminded them of home. Eating and drinking, tuneless singing and terrible dancing. Some people were making the beast with two backs and didn't care who saw them, which was also like home. Emboldened by the familiarity, the cautious quintet entered the fray, trying to stay well clear of any bright lights. Shadow, moonlight, and the flicker of fire were their friends in this scenario. Lefty said, Just play it cool, everyone. Mox answered, Yeah, I'm way ahead of you. A couple of older surface dudes were sitting in the back of a pickup truck, holding buckets full of candy and tossing out handfuls to any passerby in costume. Look at them, one of the surface men said, tossing Snickers. Are you all real mutants, said the other, tossing Skittles. Ha ha, Lefty said. Thank you for that compliment. And they just kept walking, before the men could study them too closely. It was at this point they all discovered the joy of candy. Oh my God, Lefty said through a mouthful of chocolate. Titus had given her candy once or twice before, but it was nothing like this. And they devoured it, even Vera, who vomited acid on the candy and then slurped it down. Wrapper and all. Stringbean wanted to venture off on his own, but Lefty put her foot down. They all needed to stay together. While the others could sort of pass as being in costume, the millipede boy was nothing short of a monstrosity. He had to stay on Crumb's shoulders. He had to lay still and play dead. At least for now. Lefty could see that his feelings were hurt, so she gave him a little peck on one of his faces and was rewarded with two twisted but genuine smiles. They went on, deeper into the party, enjoying their little taste of freedom. I've said it before, I'll say it again. Great parties are organic. They take on a life of their own. The people, the movement, the setting, the energy, the mood, the vibe, the music, the lights, the food, the drink, the drugs, the whatever the fuck. It all blends into something tangible. This is why you can show up at a party and know right away if it's any good, because you can feel it. And this was one of those parties, which started small, no big deal, just a few people having a bonfire away from the lights of Fergusonville, a place they could get a little crazy and celebrate All Hallows' Eve. Then from there, things escalated, as things tend to do. People started to show up in droves. Almost everyone was in costume, but down to a soul, they were all invested in the Halloween spirit. They all wanted to have a good time. Like Becca, a girl who was celebrating her 17th birthday. 
The night had been looking a little soft until they heard about this shindig. So Becca had shown up with eight of her closest pals, and they started their own bonfire. A little white wine, some music, it all was very chill, but within an hour, they were swamped with people. If Becca had been more sober, it would have been annoying, but at the moment, she was feeling herself. She greeted one and all, offering hugs and handfuls of candy to everyone she met. Whoa. Well, maybe not them. Holy shit, guys. Look, look at this, she said to her friends, none of whom were paying attention to her. Coming out of the darkness, seemingly from the desert itself, she saw a weird but captivating trio of partygoers. One of them had eyes growing out of the top of his head. There was a terrifying little hairless monkey thing with a vampire face perched on his shoulders. And next to him was a short, chubby troll with a long millipede draped over his back and down his arms. In between them was a girl. She reminded Becca of those big-eyed, creepy children that she saw on old paintings. This was, without question, the best special effects Becca had ever seen in a Halloween costume. The makeup, the prosthetics, the props. It was mind-blowing. It was utterly convincing. Especially after a bottle and a half of Boone's Farm Strawberry Hill. Whoa, she said, walking up to Lefty. And I mean, whoa! Did you do your makeup yourself? Lefty nodded quickly. Yes, all by myself. There's two. That centipede looks incredible. It almost, it almost looks alive. Wow, the eyes even move. Thank you. His name is Stringbean. It has a name? Oh, I love it. It moved again. And you say that you made that? Yes, I sure did. All me. I made all of it. Hey, is that candy? Are you handing it out for good costumes? Becca looked around, having forgotten all about the Halloween treats. Oh, yeah, it was sort of for little kids, but I guess there aren't too many of them here tonight. What school do you go to, anyway? It's, um, it's a private school, Lefty said. All of us go there. Even Stringbean? Becca said, and then she cracked up at her own joke. Nobody else thought it was a joke. She forked over some candy and then called out for her friends to come and check out these crazy costumes. Now, there were more eyes on the kids, studying them, scrutinizing them, searching for flaws in the costumes, the makeup. Lefty didn't like it, and she could feel her friends getting nervous. What's that little monkey thing? A random surface dude said. Damn, 
That's the ugliest face I've ever seen. Hanging on Mox's back and trying to keep still, Vera chittered and barked at the insult. Holy shit, it moved, bro! I'm telling you, these are like the best special effects I've ever seen up close. Especially that worm. Like, I kind of want to get sick. I kind of want to throw up. Lefty saw that Stringbean was getting very upset. Crumbs was backing away, too uncomfortable to keep pretending to keep blending in. Even Mox, normally so cool and detached, looked perturbed. He shot Lefty a look like, what do we do? Lefty turned to face her friends. She whispered, don't hurt anybody, okay? But let's give them a scare. Then she turned to the gathering crowd beside the bonfire. Becca and the surface stoners and all the rest. Lefty raised her hands for the first time displaying her long, preternaturally thin fingers. She flexed them to oohs and ahs. Halloween is supposed to be about scaring people, right? She asked. Well, sort of, Becca said. It's more like about having a good time. Oh, good. Then we can do both. Lefty lowered her voice. Can I tell you something scary? I'm not supposed to say it. We really are mutants. We live in the caves. And we eat people like you. A silence fell over the onlookers. Now, can I show you something scary? Get up. With a screech, Vera leapt off of Mox's shoulder, even as Stringbean slithered off of crumbs and raised both of his heads up, hissing and wiggling his forelegs. Becca and her friends scattered like surprised cockroaches, bumping into one another in a panic to escape. No one knew where they were going. They just knew they had to get away. Even Mox got into the Halloween spirit. He grabbed a young man by the shoulders, lowered his head, and extended his eye stalks to the maximum buggery, saying, which made that poor boy spontaneously shit himself. At which point Mox had to let him go. He was too busy laughing. As was Lefty. Vera was still chasing people in and out of the firelight, but Stringbean had to join in with the revelry. You could tell when String was laughing because he laid on his back, twisting and slithering with his little legs wriggling in the air. Where's Crumbs? Lefty asked. Looking around, she found Crumbs stealing all of the unattended candy that the partygoers had left behind. Panic and pandemonium was starting to spread beyond this little ring of fire, and now in the darkness all around them came shouts, screams, engines revving. We need to go, now, Lefty said. They all grabbed as much candy as they could carry, 
and ran back into the desert, towards home. The next day, Lefty was telling her friend Titus about the adventure. He was the only grown-up that she trusted, as well as being Vera's adopted father. Don't yell at her about this, okay? Lefty implored. It was all my idea. Titus's stern look gave way to chuckles. Did she scare him good? Lefty had to chuckle, too. She did. <laughs> you know, it was a lot more like down here than I ever thought. Didn't I tell you, girl? They think we're the monsters. They don't see it in themselves, do they? Ah, uh, they weren't so bad. Just a little mean is all. So what do you think? Are you going to go back? Lefty considered it. For that candy? For Skittles? We're going back every year. Taste me with your one gaze, disintegrate my flesh as I dance in your place. I'm drowning in the haze. Taste me with your one gaze, disintegrate my flesh as I dance in your place. Thank you for listening to another episode of A Scary Home Companion. Once again, spooky season is here. So make us your home for ghoulish and grisly stories over the next month and beyond. You can find the show on social media, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Or contact us directly at ascaryhomecompanion at gmail.com. The best way to support the show, sign up for the Patreon. Over 20 exclusive episodes not available anywhere else, and a new one every month. Or you can support us by buying the new book, Bedtime Stories for Weird Kids, a collection of 21 short tales culled from the show. And if you sign up for the Patreon this month, I'll send you a free signed copy of that book. You can also find music from the show on Spotify, a collection from Pathios Productions called How to Get to Hell. This Halloween episode was edited and produced by Jeff Davidson. It featured the music Halloween by Holzina, Halloween Ball by Lori DeMarias, O Cerebro de Morto by Dr. Frankenstein. Ad Virus with Blood and Candy. And another tune called Halloween by The Audiologist. As always, Chelsea Oxendine with the theme music.